somebody, I don't know, somebody decided it was a good idea to do some bench pressing. And so I just, I lie down on the bench, I get set up, kind of do that whole like, I don't know if it's a ceremonial back arching, you know, just you're wringing out the bar a little bit, finding that grip. And I, I don't think anybody was even there to really spot me because it's like, well, it's 135, everybody can do that. So I somehow managed to get the barbell off the rack and I lower it down and it doesn't go back up. I'm pinned to the bench. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Line Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Kreit. I don't even know what an extraordinary owner is, but here I am. <laughs> here I am. So, hey, everybody. Hello. I um I can't believe that I have gone this long without telling a dad joke. Um, you know, I I don't know. This is I don't even know what number of podcast episode this is, but I mean, I am a father of three children here on Earth, and. Um, I have a lot of dad jokes in my pocket, so I thought my first dad joke in the FLD podcast history, which I know everybody's like, this is a fitness podcast. What are you doing busting dad jokes? And I'm just going to say it's my podcast, so I will do what I please. Thank you very much. Um, and I don't know if it's a dad joke as much as it just shows my my Norwegian heritage, uh, Midwestern self. So the joke, and I'm already going to say it's an Oli and Lena joke. So if you out there don't know what an Oli and Lena joke is, you got to check your Norwegian roots, your Norwegian history. I don't know. But Oli and Lena, very popular Norwegian couple that makes it in a lot of these jokes. Now, you're also going to have to know the geography of Minnesota. So for all, for all of you out there who have no idea about the geography of Minnesota and you don't know who Ole and Lena are, I am already providing you education that is real world. So here we go. Ole and Lena just got married and they got married at a church in Rochester, Minnesota. And they were going to drive up to Minneapolis for their honeymoon. So as they were driving on Highway 52 to get to Minneapolis... Oli decided to put his hand on Lena's leg. And Lena said, Oli, we're married now. You can go farther north than that. So Oli drove to Duluth. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just too funny. Um, so, okay, there's the first joke ever. And um, maybe I'll never do another one. I don't know. We'll see, what the, um, we'll see what the rave reviews are like. So if you're listening to this and you despise that joke... Please, 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 please somehow share this wherever you are on social media, whether the gram, whether on Facebook. See if you could tag us. Let me know how bad that joke was. And I will never, ever, I'm not going to make that promise. So I also want to share a little bit of a story. And I think maybe this will segue a little bit into some of the topic today. I, when I was in high school many, many moons ago, and it was my freshman year. So this was like my first experience of the bench press. And I should say the first experience, but my first kind of like team experience. You know, before I remember I honestly I was at a point in my youth where we actually had like the 
the I don't know if it, it wasn't makeshift, it was like Sears Best. And the the weights were plastic and you filled them up with either sand or water. See, I was already back in like grade school, junior high. I was already messing with sand and water in my workouts. How come I did not see this coming? But um, I, I never was successful at the barbell bench press. Uh, I attribute it to the fact that I have very long arms where in essence, it's just because I'm not that strong. At least I'm not that strong for the bench press. And maybe it is because of my long arms, but I... I digress. So here we are. And I just remember we got done with a practice, like a football practice, two, two a days, right? A um, couple, couple weeks before school uh, starts in the fall. Freshman, you know, you go in, you do one practice in the morning, you come back a little later, you do another practice in the afternoon. And I still remember for some reason, well, I think my high school was being, uh, it was under construction. And all the weight equipment was kind of in a shed out by the practice field. And it must have been a nice enough day, a nice enough like forecast that a lot of the equipment was already out of the shed and we were able to do things outside. So for some reason, I have no idea why, we got done with the uh, the afternoon practice and everybody's kind of in their pads, their, their leg pads are on, everybody's taking off their shoulder pads, we're just kind of in shirts. And somebody, I don't know, somebody decided it was a good idea to do some bench pressing. And so I just followed the crowd because I was a freshman, so I had no idea really what was going on. But I kind of followed my freshman crowd. And I mean, there was the upperclassmen. Uh, you know, we had our seniors, we had our juniors. I mean, we had everybody there. And the seniors start going to town and they're, you know, doing like what I thought was pretty heavyweight. And, you know, we start going down the ranks of the classes. And, you know, there's a little bit of a alpha male going on to some degree, a little competition. Again, I don't know where this place is um, outside of a football practice during two a days, but I digress. So, we get to the freshman class and I mean, I've never, I don't think I ever really bench pressed with Olympic weightlifting equipment or, you know, the 45 pound, the standard 45 pound barbell and 45 pound plates and things like this. So we get up and there, honestly, there was another, um, another kid there, my same height, my same weight, and even my same first name. We were the two Corys in our class. And we shared a lot of responsibilities in football because we're very similar in size structure I found out that day not in strength. Um, so he gets up first, and he has the 135, right? So, I mean, we're talking about a 45-pound barbell, 45-pound plate on each side. For a lot of men out there, kind of a warm-up, uh, especially in the high school realm, whatnot. So he gets up there and lays down. He does like 10 reps or something. So I'm like, well, I can do that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a shot to the pride. I lie down on the bench. I get set up, kind of do that whole, like, I don't know if it's a ceremonial back arching, you know, just you're ringing out the bar a little bit, finding that grip. And I I don't think anybody was even there to really spot me because it's like, well, it's 135, everybody can do that. So I somehow managed to get the barbell off the rack and I lower it down and it doesn't go back up. I'm pinned to the bench. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that whole struggling, worming thing and Everybody comes to, to assist and guide me to help bring the bar back up off my chest and basically save my life. And, you know, that it's funny because as I reflect on that memory, how many, how many of us out there would have experienced that and said, you know, this sucks. I'm not going to bench press. I'm not going to work out anymore. Strength training is not my jam. Maybe football. Maybe I don't belong in football. But there was something about that that was... Even though in failure, um, it drove me. It drove me to want to 
do that. I wanted, I couldn't believe that people could do that and I couldn't. So that kind of, that kind of got me going and I became a little bit more diligent. I became, I mean, in high school, I was basically, I played football and I was pretty much known as the weight room guy. You know, I wasn't immense in my, my strength. Well, okay. So I guess when you're doing like high school uh, males and what have you, I was probably one of the stronger guys in there. But I wasn't like the bulkiest, most muscular person either. I mean, it's just because I was dedicated. I I quite enjoyed um, training. I loved I loved going to the gym. I loved working out. You know, maybe I've shared this before. I I would spend ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes in the gym four times a week during high school. And if I could, I would have done it on the weekends. Maybe I did a few times. But I I, I there was just something liberating for me there. Um, Felt like, you know, even though I was competing against some other people in my mind, it was always about me getting better. And that's the thing is, you know, I knock I knock a lot of this traditional fitness, traditional strength training, I should say. And I do believe, I mean, barbell training, it got me stronger, no doubt. Um, and now there's genetics. I mean, there's so many other variables that could play into here. Plus, being a male, um, you know, teenage male, like I could look at a dumbbell and get stronger. I could gain a little bit more muscle. Why? Well, testosterone. Testosterone is going pretty rampant at that point. I'm I'm eating everything in sight, um, growing, you know, that whole growing boy thing. And that was literally me. So I, I don't want to say barbell training won't make you strong. I will say it is limited. So as much as I liked it, I did it pretty much bodybuilding wise because that's all I knew. I knew about bodybuilding because we subscribed to bodybuilding magazines. Um, you know, at the time there was no internet, believe it or not. And so I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, like in the gym, um, I went to a public gym, not my high school gym, and I would find like the biggest guys there and I would ask them questions. I would be taking notes, like, what is it that you're doing? You know, what, what for a uh, source of nutrition, what, what food are you eating? Um, just all this different stuff. So I, I don't know, but that whole pressing, because pressing is a human movement. You know, as we talk about our seven movement patterns, pushing, pressing is one of those. And we have what we call horizontal and vertical pressing. So horizontal pressing is going to be your bench press. So, I mean, you're lying on the bench, yes. But if you were to stand up and mimic that same movement, the press goes horizontal, right? You're parallel with the floor below you. So there's a lot of benefit, obviously, to parallel uh, to horizontal pressing. Your push-ups are going to be horizontal pressing. Like I said, your bench pressing. Um, any, any form where you're pressing out away from your body. Now... Then we have vertical pressing. So vertical pressing is going to be the overhead pressing. Um, I think everybody has a good idea of what that's like. I mean, you're pressing obviously vertical, so it's um, perpendicular to the floor if I get to use my fancy geometry terms. And again, I was never a strong press person. But what I really enjoy now, especially at this, I mean, right now as I record this, I am 43, I think. (laughs) I'm somewhere, I think I'm 43, Um, is my pressing has become a lot better because it's become more efficient because I've learned how to grab and grab with my hands and use my feet. And a lot of the things that I'm pressing now, I put my body in positions where it's a little bit more unstable, Uh, split stance, half kneeling, anything like this, marching. So my pressing, and that's what I like to tell people is, you know, as we're in the fitness line down, you know, a lot of people are very, I wouldn't say humble, but it's just like, wow, this is very challenging. And I talk about old school bench pressing because a lot of the guys that are at fitness line down, 
are very experienced with old school bench pressing. And it's like, could you believe, like, we thought that that had carryover. Now, does it have carryover? Sure. But when you're doing something standing, you know, I'm lying on my back and I'm pressing up. So I've always had that argument and I kind of still hold true to it. A little tongue in cheek is if you're ever lying on your back and you're pressing up, you've lost that match. So you want to be on your feet, you know, again, being in football, you want to be able to extend your arms out to keep either the blocker away or to block into somebody. Um, I never had the opportunity to run with the ball, but you see running backs, they stiff arm. So being able to have that extension. But the thing about when you're pushing something while you're standing is unlike the barbell bench press, you have gravity, even though gravity is pulling the weight against you or trying to pull the weight down, your body's orientation with gravity gives you a little more stability as you lie in the bench. When I stand up now, I have a disadvantage. So I have to learn how to be efficient. And I have to make that press not from the arms, but I have to make that press through the body. And this is what, like, I will say, professional powerlifters, so those people out there that are making a living off of bench pressing, squatting, and deadlifting, they know what they're doing. So when you see somebody pressing, bench pressing an enormous amount of weight, they're not using their arms. They're actually really grabbing in and bracing through their core, making that efficient. Now, it also happens that these people have torsos that are wider than my car and their arms are like, I don't know, two feet long. <laughs> so they're, they're biologically advantaged to do such an exercise. I remember still, you know, as I'm going down memory lane here in college, um, I, I trained with a, I don't know if it's training, it was working out. Uh, we followed, we followed my buddy's um, football program from Ishuabanan. Uh, they were D2 football champions there on the east side of the state next to Green Bay. And we would follow their their high school football program. And I will say, I did get strong off of that. Um, there was a little bit more, I don't, you know, I mean, it was a typical setup where you pyramid things. You you do so many reps at one level, then you go up a little bit more in weight, you take down the reps a little bit, you know, you increase it up, and then you, you go up the pyramid, and then you go back down the pyramid, kind of like ladders, if you will. And my friend was short. I mean, that was the thing. He was a short guy. He had short arms and he was strong. I mean, because he was just built for this. I mean, this guy, <laughs> sprinter kind of guy. And it was always, again, humbling that I believe I had to do the first set of weight because I always had the lighter weight. So then they would put more weight on for them. Um, and that's just what it was. But my friend, like, yeah, very short arms. I just still remember, like, amazing. This guy was pretty strong coming into college his freshman year. And I still remember the stretch mark. So he increased in mass. Like he created more muscle that his skin had to stretch. We all know our stretch marks. His stretch marks were the weirdest spots. I mean, in his shoulders and his back of his, uh, in his back, like because he got wider there. And then even in his groin and thighs, he was having stretch marks. Like this guy bulked up pretty good. Um, maybe a little TMI for everybody out there. So, but I found out that bench pressing wasn't my jam, but all these other presses are. And especially... I will go like toe to toe with anybody in unstable pressing, whether that's horizontal pressing or vertical pressing. And I do have, I do believe that that has a lot more carryover to real world situations. You know, how many times do you lie on your back again and press up? But how many times do you step forward to maybe push something? You know, how many times do you have to kind of like pivot as maybe you're pushing your car door shut, you know, instead of like twisting through? Um, you know, it's just. Think about the next time that you go extend your arm out, you know, 
where where's your body in relation to that? Where are you standing? Are you on one leg? Are you kneeling down as you reach for something? This is all pushing motions to some degree when you extend that elbow out. Um, so everybody gets to know now about my bad Norwegian jokes. They're not bad, actually. They're really good and delicious. And you know how I'm not very good at bench pressing. So if you see me, you can make fun of me. And that's totally okay because... I will outpress you in other ways, as I just mentioned. Now, I want to think about this one memory I have. Um, you know, I just, I remember uh, back in high school, and so, I, so I took a big chance at the high school dance with a Missy who was ready to play. It wasn't me she was fooling, because she knew what she was doing. And I know love is here to stay. When she told me to walk this way, Okay, so sorry, that was a very bad intro into my next topic. <laughs> so the the Walk This Way song from Aerosmith, Better with Run DMC. Um, that was one of the lyrics that I don't know if you picked up on that, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not even sorry. <laughs> if you're still listening right now, it's your fault, not my fault. But what I want to talk about today, um, the big topic is carries, right? Um, C-A-R-R-I-E-S. Um, not, not a bunch of females named Carrie in one room, but actual locomotion carries, loaded carries. We would call them sometimes in the fitness world, the strength world. And, you know, a lot of people, they love them. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I think carries are a fabulous exercise. Now, what I did, what I found out is like, you know, we talk about the seven movement patterns. I already mentioned pressing is one. So in the seven movement patterns, we have squatting, we have lunging, we have hip hinging, bending over, um, we have pulling, we have pressing, as I mentioned before, rotation, anti-rotation, kind of put together, and then we have locomotion. I've seen some people, um, some fitness professionals out there that will actually label carries as a human movement pattern, and I have to disagree with that. Um, because, I mean, if I'm just walking from point A to point B and not carrying anything, well, what, what do you call that? I mean, maybe I'm carrying my body weight, sure, um, a backpack maybe, but I'm not actually like hanging on to something as like a kettlebell, a suitcase, you know, anything in my hands, grocery bags. Um, carrying is part of locomotion because now I have to take an object and transport it to a, a different location using you know my feet so the, the carrying is part of that but it's not the human movement pattern the human movement pattern is locomotion and see if i start thinking about carrying i actually limit the exercises that i can prescribe for locomotion to honor that movement pattern and i always love starting people off in a fitness line down when we're doing something like a dead bug so as you remember we're lying on our back we're holding on to our favorite ultimate sandbag and we're driving one leg out, bringing that leg back in, alternate those legs. You know, we can rotate that sandbag. We can lift and chop that sandbag. And I tell people, this is one of my favorite walking exercises. And they, they all of a sudden are like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not even close to walking. And then I have to describe to them about the movement patterns and how, especially, you know, it's a little bit more um, understandable when you're moving the sandbag. When you're just holding the sandbag, you're still honoring those movement patterns. But as I'm driving one leg out, and let's say, let's say I'm lying on my back. Let's have everybody just close their eyes. I'm lying on my back. I've got my sandbag in my hand. I'm going to drive my right leg out so my left leg stays static and still. 
as I drive my right leg out, I'm going to draw that diagonal line with my ultimate sandbag. I'm going to lift the bag in that diagonal line over my left shoulder. So now you can kind of see that there's a little bit of opposites going on. There's a reciprocal movement pattern that's occurring with my dead bug. And then my hips stay in stable, just like when I walk. When I walk, my hips aren't shifting around. You know, I'm not swinging my hips, but I am moving one leg and one arm at a time. And that all kind of is predicated upon a very stable core, right? That core being from the, the lats, the upper back muscles, down to your glutes. And that's what the dead bug really helps to, um, to emphasize, to focus on, is to stabilize the core. So that's where I tell people, like, for some reason, some people think that in a dead bug position, when you're lying on your back, you need to press your low back flat into the ground. And I have to be quick to tell them that's actually not accurate. You don't want an overarching low back because that's not natural either. We have curves in our spine for a very good reason. So I have a little bit of a lumbar spine, a lumbar curve in my low back. And I want to keep that because that's my neutral spine. You know, could you imagine like if you just think about you lying on your ground, pressing your back, your low back flat into the floor and then trying to walk, you know, upright in that same posture, how does your gait look? You know, not very good. People might laugh at you just as they laugh at me. Um, so we're always working on movement patterns and especially locomotion because locomotion, we're, we're uniquely bipeds, bipeds as a human in the, in the animal kingdom as a human family. You know, overall, we, we walk on both legs and that's how we get from point A to point B. Some other animals in that kingdom have to walk on all fours. Some have to slither on their bellies. Some, you know, have to fly. So we are unique that we spend our whole time walking, two feet, running, however which way you want to look at this. So like I mentioned before, if it's all about carries, then I'm only limited to doing like carries to honor that movement pattern. But now that I understand that it's locomotion, it's not necessarily carrying an object, I can call a dead bug a locomotion exercise. I can call that a walking exercise. I can call a bird dog flip that dead bug over and I'm on my hands and knees. I can call that locomotion. I can call lunges to some degree a little bit of locomotion because I'm moving. I'm stepping. You know, so anytime that I'm doing stepping exercises, to some degree there's a, some locomotion emphasis in there. But now when we talk to the heart of the carries, so this is what I want to talk about is I see a lot of people, so let's get our terminology right. If I'm doing a farmer's carry, I'm carrying two kettlebells, one in each hand, and I'm walking from point A to point B. That's what we call a farmer's carry. If I'm doing a suitcase carry, now I take one kettlebell away and I'm only carrying a kettlebell in one hand. So that's going to be our suitcase carry. And we have racked carries, so I can bring that kettlebell from the bottom position of my carry and I can rack that kettlebell up in, in around my chest area, and then an overhead carry. So those are some of the carries that we do with uh, kettlebells. We can also have sandbag um, fun too as we make carries happen. But here's what I find out, is that especially when I watch the glorious social media, you know, we talk about heavy carries. And you, yeah, you don't want to have a light weight when you're doing a carry, but light is relative, heavy is relative. So I see a lot of people that will take a really heavy kettlebell and they can't control that kettlebell. Like they're walking and they're doing everything they can 
to fight that pull to the one side. So if we're doing our suitcase carry, let's say, and we're just going to say this right off the bat. I know this might come as a shocker. Let's just say I have two weights equal, you know, heavy weights in each hand, one one weight in each hand equal. Okay, that's pretty pretty intense because I'm carrying a lot of weight. Now, if I take away one of those bells, and I've just I've reduced the weight I'm carrying in half, but it's all on one side, that is dramatically more intense. <gasps> Shocker. So that's what I want you to be thinking about is, you know, and maybe a lot of you have already experienced this. You know what I'm talking about, and this is just, you know, kind of review for you. But when I'm carrying a heavy kettlebell to the one side, I don't want to give in to that side. So let's just say my right arm is carrying this kettlebell. I don't want to be flexing laterally. I don't want to be doing a side bend to that side. But at the same time, I don't want to overcompensate. So that's what we find out is, and then I'm I'm twisting around too. I see a lot of kettlebells swinging around. And I always joke that jingle bells, even though we are close to, I mean, maybe we are in the heart of jingle bell season right now in December. But I, I say there should be no jingle bells. That bell needs to be silent night. It needs to be very quiet. So as I'm carrying that kettlebell, what I love to use as an image is that whether I'm carrying one or two kettlebells, that those kettlebells are buckets and they're filled with water, filled to the brim. And we dare not spill a drop. So just that little game that we play creates more intention with people. And yeah, if I'm carrying a kettlebell that's way too heavy, and I mean, you want it to be a struggle, but it shouldn't be a struggle that's so obvious to the, to the naked eye. So, I mean, yeah, we, you, you're walking and I might look at you and be like, wow, that person's really upright. I, but I, you can always tell by the faces if it's intense or not. But all of a sudden, like, you know, they set the kettlebell down like, holy cow, that was so challenging. That's where you want to be. If I have somebody that has a really light kettlebell, it's going to be a waste of their time and a waste of my time. But if I go too far, too far over the edge and their body's all over the board compensating for that heavy bell, then we have too much input and they're actually not learning much. So we have to learn what, what we should be doing for there. So the carries is a fantastic exercise. And here I will say a long, long time ago, I used to cue the carries as walking slowly. And I found out that that is, I mean, so that could be intense. Don't get me wrong. Walking slow can be intense, but it's not very realistic. You know, my thought process is, is that if I'm at like a hardware store, you know, I don't know who is out there, Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, wherever you are, and I've got some heavy things in my hands and I need to get to the register, <laughs> you know that I'm going to be walking as fast as I can to get there. Now, of course, my years of training, I'm not going to walk too fast where I have weights in my hands swinging around that could cause a little bit of an injury because all of a sudden a little bit of that instability and maybe I'm not strong enough to handle that with weights at my side, could cause a little crank on my low back, could pull on a shoulder more than it should. So I don't want to walk too fast where I'm out of control, but I'm also not going to walk too slow because, again, it gets heavier and heavier the longer I hold these weights, these objects in my hands. So I usually I tell people when we're doing carries to think about like your normal walking speed, maybe just a little bit slower. But the fun part about that now is that when I have a, a more realistic pace, it actually creates more momentum, if you will, and my kettlebells want to swing around more, so I have to lock in tighter. And that becomes even more challenging. And what I love to do, love, 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 at fitness lying down, is I love to set up a, a figure eight course. So I just take two cones, you know, and I we place them out. Um, you know, we've got, we've got it down to a science of how far these cones are. 
<laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, and I like to do figure eights because walking the line, linear, linear, walking from one point, straight line, yeah, not challenging. I mean, it's there, but it's not challenging. But as soon as I have to start hitting corners, oh my goodness, that's when the magic happens. So when I have to take a corner and I'm carrying one or two kettlebells, how the body gets has to respond. It has to adapt, right? Specific adaptations to imposed demands. The SAID principle, S-A-I-D. That as I'm making that corner, my body and the weights, how the weights are kind of pulling on me, my body has to adapt to those demands to stay stable, to stay upright. And right, I mean, again, functional training, right? I, I don't like the word functional training, but everybody knows what it means, so I have to use it. Um, it it's just so much more because... Carrying something, you know, usually when I have to carry something heavy, I have to go downstairs. I have to make a corner around my sidewalk. I have to get to my car to load this up. I'm just thinking about luggage right now. And once again, if I'm carrying that single kettlebell, well, what what is that single kettlebell actually amplifying? It's a side plank. This is what happens when we're carrying one weight on one side. And we find out that people really struggle. Now, not at fitness lying down, of course, because we've trained them properly. But I know that this might sound kind of funny. You know, I'm not going to say that if you can't, if a side plank for you is really, really challenging, you know, my thought is like, well, you shouldn't be walking, right? Because you need that lateral stability. We don't want that sway back and forth, right? So if you could picture yourself in that side plank, right? And we're just talking about, we're not talking about a plank on your hand. I want your, I want your elbow on the floor. And I, I've got that elbow directly underneath my shoulder. And let's just say I'm even going in a modified side plank. So my legs are bent. I have a knee on top of knee. I have a foot on top of foot, elbow directly underneath the shoulder. And as I always coach the side plank, it's not about you lifting your body off the ground. It's about you being able to drive the floor away from you and your body responds by rising up. So I'm holding that. That lateral instability is gravity trying to pull my hip down to the floor. But by resisting that, keeping that ground pushed away, I create more tension I create more resistance against that. I'm able to resist, I guess you could say, that gravitational pull. Well, take that standing and walking. You know, when we have lateral sways in our hips, when, I, when I'm not very stable in that walk, well, this is one of the reasons why the core is not firing properly. So we've seen people. We've seen like these power lifters, uh, Olympic weightlifters, these people that do everything bilaterally with both feet flat on the ground. Now they can walk, sure. Um, you know, it's just what we do. And it's funny how, you know, I don't want to get into this so far, but it is funny how the body compensates. So just watch people walk sometimes and see where their feet are, right? This is such a great drill, like in the snow. I know this sounds really weird, but when I walk in the snow, after a while, I'll take a look back and I'll, I'll take a look back and see my tracks. And I'm always so proud. <laughs> So so ridiculous. I'm so proud that my feet mainly basically point forward as I walk. Because you'll see a lot of people that end up having like what we call the clown feet, right? Maybe one accentuates more than the other, but how the toes angle out. And that's for compensation somewhere in their body that they're, they're, they walk like that. And just like anything else, like if I drive my car and I have poor alignment in my car, that's going to wear and tear on some things, especially my tires, so this poor alignment in my body, well, you're going to find out that that wears and tears. You know, maybe your hips hurt, you know, when you walk a long distance. Maybe your low back kind of hurts a little bit. Maybe your shoulders hurt. You know, it's all, it's all connected. 
So we find out that these power lifters and these Olympic weightlifters really, really, really struggle when they do a farmer's carry. They can't control their body in that side-to-side lateral stability. And what, what we should not do, okay, is we should not keep practicing farmers or suitcase carries per se. We need to find a regression and we need to find that right regression for them to start building up, building them back up into that. I mentioned before, um, I know I did a podcast about the functional movement screen. And I still think this is a great, uh, a great rule to follow is that if one of the, if the movement pattern is dysfunctional, the last thing you want to do is load it. So I know that sounds funny. Like if my walking pattern is dysfunctional, you know, if, if somebody's limping or if they're walking with clown feet or anything else like that, it's probably not a good idea that I throw a heavy kettlebell in their hand or both hands and I have them walk because they're going to compensate. I'm not, I'm giving them too much input. Their body's not ready for this. But if I start with some dead bugs, if I start with some side planks, well, I shouldn't, uh, side planks, I don't even start with. Um, side planks are pretty intense. <laughs> when you, especially our, our DVRT side planks, uh, using the ultimate sandbag, the different ways, um, not just sandbags, but we use resistance bands, we use lever bells, kettlebells. When I really use the um, side plank, it's pretty challenging for a lot of people just coming up off the street. So we, we save that for a few months before I start side planking people. Anyway, but I mean, what am I saying? Like if, if I, if I have a dysfunctional moving pattern, I, I shouldn't, if I can't walk right, I shouldn't walk at all. No, no, that's not realistic. What I'm saying is the loaded, you shouldn't load that movement pattern. So when I load that movement pattern, again, the compensations. Now, my asterisk, and this is still like, this is me kind of research on the ground, right? Um, you know, they'll always say that research is a little bit behind from what we're finding out in the trenches. But I mentioned before about an overhead carry. So I will take somebody that might, I mean, they're not grossly dysfunctional in their um, locomotion, but they, they're not the best, right? I mean, you know, they have a little bit of a something, a hiccup in their, in their walking. Well, what I'll do is instead of having that kettlebell down low, because the higher I bring the kettlebell up, the more challenging this drill becomes. So if I can get that person to have an overhead carry, so their arm is locked out and they're holding a kettlebell in a very strong hand, got that strong grip, I'll have them do some loaded, some carries with that overhead um, holding position. And because of the intensity of that, now again, we have to prescribe the right weight. I can't make that weight too heavy, but I also don't want to make it too light. I've got to find that, that baby bear just right. Their body, because of that weight over their head, that changes so much d- d- dynamics of the gait pattern that their body has to hone in more because it's going to create so much more instability. So I find the people, you know, and this is just, again, kind of anecdotal evidence here, fitness lying down, that those people that struggle um, walking, walking well, you know, and I would not do any suitcase or farmer carries with them, I will overhead eight, I'll overhead carry them in an eight pattern, and I will find out that they actually clean up their gait pattern because of that. It's a pretty cool thing. It's, it's a little bit of a self-limiting exercise, as I mentioned, because if I have too heavy of a weight overhead, then they start, they start losing that elbow. You know, their elbow's not locked out, so we lose that joint centrality. That joint centrality meaning that everything's lined up. Uh, you know, for a lot of people in the gym, I will give them a heavier kettlebell than they can press to carry over their head. And I know when I first show them and I set it up for them, they're like, well, that's more than I can press. 
And I'm like, yes, you are correct. <laughs> Way to pay attention to your program. However, I'm only asking you to get that kettlebell up one time. And you can use both hands. You can put the other hand up there, give a little bit of a push press to get the bell up there. But once you lock out that elbow, you're pretty strong. You can hold a, a, a good amount of weight r- relative to what you can normally do. And now carrying just becomes a whole new world. So that's a really exciting thing. Um, another way that I like to take people into loaded carries is adding the around the world. So no kettlebells. So I'm not asking you to walk with kettlebells and try to do an around the world with a sandbag. And if you don't know what an around the world is, I'm going to just ask that you maybe Google, check out the Ultimate Sandbag uh, webpage, check out the Fitness Line Down page. It's where you move the bag around your body. So you're the world and the bag moves around in a lift and chap, lift and chap, lift and chop PNF pattern. And we actually combine that with walking. And right there, because of the, you know, we have to, of course, build up. It's not something that happens day one, even month one or month two, but it's something that we build up into. We start learning how to do the around the world effectively and efficiently. And then just adding that into the walk, how much more they have to, how much more our clients have to hone in, even myself. I just did it uh, earlier this week. And it's amazing. It's amazing the amount of stability that needs to happen for that control of the sandbag to move around. And I prefer to use water bags when I do my around the worlds, but that's just me. Kind of a pro tip out there, though, for anybody out there. Um, That it really, it's corrective in nature. Because if I'm not focused on my step and stepping with intention, then all of a sudden, I'll be losing my balance. So I, it's a, it's a great way to correct some of those dysfunctions again, but everything's leading up to that. We've done dead bugs. We've done some of these exercises that have built some stability. We've shown proficiency. You know, if I'm finding somebody that's lacking in their side planks, that's lacking in their dead bugs, I'm probably not going to load that walk right away. I'm, I've got some other tricks up my sleeve to build that strength, to build that stability. And this is, again, I always, I feel like I'm always saying this, but this is the exciting part of what I do. You know, back when I graduated from college, um, from fitness school, all I thought I, I would be talking about is like sets and reps, you know, the traditional exercises, the core exercises, your bench press, your squats, your deadlifts, you know, and then we'll do some auxiliary lifts with our, our bicep curls and our lunges and whatnot. It is so much more than that. And it's so much more exciting. I am you know, listening to my voice, hopefully you can feel this, that I'm just as excited about this today, eight years into it, than I was day one. Because I'm seeing better. The more we practice this, the more we coach this, the better we get on our end, and that really benefits the people that we serve. And so, you know, I joke around a lot with people um, because it's a fun thing to do in the gym. kind of brings down the guard a little bit for people that come to the gym and... They're usually a little bit, I don't want to say sensitive. They're just a little bit more on edge because it's a gym. Um, laughter really breaks that down. But the fact that, you know, hashtag beast mode, right? Like we're going to take your gate pattern. We're going to set world records today and you're going to be the best walker ever. But that's that's kind of what I want. I want. I want people to move efficiently. And what's that efficiency? Using the least amount of energy. So if we could train people in the gym how to walk more efficiently in their daily lives, they're going to have more energy. Because if, you know, I, I, I forget all the things I talk about here, but if, I had, if I'm walking from point A to point B, and let's say I've got energy bucks, 
right? It's like a bank. It's like monopoly money. And it costs me, healthy-wise, 50 energy bucks to get from point A to point B. But because my gait pattern, I'm not very efficient, and it costs me more energy, more movement bucks, maybe now it's going to cost me 75 or 100 more, or 100 more, 75 or $100 instead of that 50. So I've already expended more energy by taking that walk because of my inability to walk well. And that might take some energy out of the end of my day when I need to play with my kids, when I need to, you know, take them to dance, go watch a basketball game, you know, anything that I have to do. I might have lower energy because of my inefficiency of movement. But let's say you train the right way, you get stronger, you get better, and that that A to B that cost you 50 movement bucks, maybe now it only costs you 40. Maybe you've gotten so much better it's 35. Now you've got more energy. You've burnt less. I know it's so funny because in the fitness industry, we're always talking about burning calories. And there might be some truth to that, yes, but how do you burn? It's, it's about, I mean, there's so much more than just calories. You actually, your body, um, it's based on like um, survival skills. Your body wants to use the least amount of energy. It wants to be very efficient when we're doing things. So if I could save that energy, now I can bank a little bit more of those energy bucks for playing with my kids, going to these events. Maybe that energy that I've conserved by walking well. So I, sitting around and doing nothing is not the best way to conserve energy. I think a lot of people hopefully know this, have experienced it, that those days where you, you know, and it's okay. I veg out. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not always like active and on the go. But some of those days where I don't do anything, it's more challenging for me to sleep at night. And it was so funny because like, oh, I'm so tired, but then I can't fall asleep, right? But when you add that physical activity in, so you get that physical activity, which is good, but maybe those energy bucks that you saved is actually going to help in your recovery process, in your sleep. So there's so many dynamics to this. And, you know, I know it started with a bad Ole and Lena joke, went to some uh, bench pressing and then Aerosmith. But hopefully you see kind of the bigger picture of why carries are not a human movement pattern. They're included in it because in order to, to carry something from a, one location to another, I have to use locomotion. I have to be a biped. But how, how efficiently, how effectively am I going to be able to do that? It was kind of leaving you with a story. Uh, we did landscaping, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. And for some reason, my wife, God bless her heart, wanted this rock. And I don't know why, because it's, I still look at it in my yard. I'm like, why did we have this decorative rock? It's only one rock, and it's in the corner of our yard where nobody can see it. But for some reason, that was in her mind. And, you know, so whatever. <laughs> you have to do certain things to stay married. And, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. We needed, like, somebody to help us with a little bit of a, I don't know if they used a, not necessarily a forklift, but there was some machinery that helped put this rock in the back of our van. And then we get home. And it's like, um, I have to get this rock out of the van. And it's not like it's not like a smooth surface. Like there's a dip. You got the bumper and there's like a dip and it's down there kind of in a little bit of a storage hold. So I have to be able to lift this rock up over this lip of the van. And then I have to carry it not, not too like short of a distance. <laughs> and my wife, I don't know, I... She wanted me to do it, but then she was scared that I was doing it. It's just such a weird dynamic. So I, I somehow managed, without killing myself, to lift this rock up over. And I mean, I feel like I'm like strong man competition here. That's what I felt like as I was doing it. 
So now I've got the rock. I'm I'm lapping the rock. That's how you kind of do this. Is you lap it up on your thigh, you roll it up, and then I get my hands underneath. So I'm holding it um, with my hands underneath the, the rock, almost like kind of a cradle position. And I'm carrying this thing. And our yard is not the most like flat yard. I mean, it's not full of holes or anything like that, but there's some curves to the yard. And I just remember walking. And the thought process is, I cannot put this rock down because I don't know if I can pick this rock back up. <laughs> and so I'm trying my hardest not to drop the rock, but it is amazing. And I don't even know how much this rock weighs, but it, it's not light, how taxing that was. And I just remember one time, my wife videoed me. I should post this on the social again. I, I totally swayed. Like I, I started moving side to side. Not, not like that lateral instability, but to some degree. But because my body's getting fatigued, I just started like kind of losing my step a little bit and going side to side, almost like somebody that's been drinking, right? And finally, I'm like, I just can't do this anymore, and I just dropped the rock. <laughs> and then, thanks be to God for a prefrontal cortex, because then it's like, why don't I just roll the rock over there? <laughs> so with just a little over halfway to go, I just start rolling the rock, and I place it where it needs to be. Um, evolution, right? <laughs> Science wins again. So... Carrying things, I mean, and I, it just, the inefficiency, I mean, I was, it was too much. Like that rock was too heavy for me. Could only get it so far. Um, again, another embarrassing Corey story. A little, little glimpse into the life of um, myself and my wife. We love each other so much. And it's just so, so funny. Cause even now she's like, I don't know why I ever got that rock. <laughs> I'm just like, <gasps> serenity now, serenity now. Um, but anyway. Again, let me know if you didn't like that joke. I want to know. And let me know if you share that joke because it's absolutely hilarious. And let me know if you have to go into your geography book and check out Minnesota and see where Rochester is, where Minneapolis is, and where Duluth is. Because I think that joke, if you don't know that, you're not going to get it. Um, Everybody, I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that I have you out there listening. Maybe you lost a bet and you have to listen because of that. I don't know. But I'm grateful nonetheless. Love to see the numbers rise in my listeners. I follow those metrics once in a while. So I'm grateful for that as well. Until the next time that we talk. Everyone out there, Godspeed.